Moral Revolution community, welcome back to our podcast. I'm so glad you joined us today. Let's talk about it. Hey, let's talk about it, listeners. Welcome to this month's podcast and YouTube. If you're on YouTube and watching, you're getting to see some beautiful faces because we have special guests with you today, Mrs. Krista Smith. She is the author of Singled Out in a Couple's World, Living a Fulfilled Life Regardless of Your Relationship Status. So if you are listening and you are a single woman, you are in the right place. If you're still listening and you're not, then go ahead and send this to your sister, cousin, friend, whoever that needs to hear this message for single women of how to stay fulfilled in a life where you're like, I'm still waiting for my man. So Krista, thanks for being with us today. Oh, Caitlin, thanks so much for having me. I'm honored to be here and I'm excited about this conversation. Yes, I am too. Honestly, ladies, buckle up because the reason we brought Krista back, if you're not already in our Date Well Women's community, which you should be, uh, we brought her into that. She spoke with our like live conversation inside of our community and the women just fell in love with her. We heard her story for the first time and we we're like, we need more of Krista. So she's one of our main teachers in our Date Well Women community. And then we were like, wait, we need to have all of our audience of MR women make sure that they hear who Krista is, find out her story. And honestly, her nuggets of truth. Actually, you can't even call yours nuggets. They are truth bombs. She drops truth bombs is what she does. So uh, Sean and Krista, her husband, they're both international itinerant speakers. They travel all over the nation and the world. I know she just got back from Florida, but before that, last time I talked to you was like London. So she is literally all over um, bringing the truth, super prophetic, super wild and fun. Um, If you are a leader or whatever in your church or community, you guys should bring them out because we actually have a history with her husband, Sean, where he came to our youth conference years and years ago and just both of them and what they carry and bring just leads to really marking moments in the Holy Spirit. So you are in store for a good conversation. Stay tuned today. Krista, um, what led you to write this book, Singled Out in a Couple's World? You know, it's really funny. I never planned on writing a book about this because I think when you're living your story, it doesn't feel overly significant. It feels like just very day in and day out with God. And you are kind of in the you're like in the grind of the story. And then you get some truth and revelation. You get some encounters with God. And all of a sudden you find yourself having conversations with people and being able to maybe give them something that helps them. Um, And that really was my story. I was single for 20 years and I was a single pastor and I would was pastoral support roles. So like executive pastor, running schools of ministry over prophetic teams, different things. So I served in like a capacity of pastoral ministry for probably 13 years before I married Sean. And in those roles, I found like so much of my office time being taken up with meetings with young adults that want to talk about relationships. Many of them had gotten saved uh, maybe in their teens or twenties, or just didn't really know how to do a Christian relationship successful. I didn't know how to wait well, uh, just really found being single incredibly difficult. And I just found my, my pastoral counseling appointments just uh, like booked all the time to the, to the point where now I'm pastoring down in Los Angeles and I'm realizing uh, the conversations that are happening so consistently. I'm like, okay, I think I need to preach about this from the pulpit because there's enough people I'm having conversations with. I feel like this is more congregational conversation than just one-on-one. So I began to teach on singleness um, on Sunday mornings and I would apply it to the married couples, but just principles and things the Lord taught me. 
Well, that was it. I mean, it just, it really, it, it took off. And they made me at the time, they're like, you got to write this in a book. We need this in a book form. And so I think that was like 2014. I promised I would. And finally in 2021, I made good on the promise. It took me a while to do it, but I did it. Um, but it came from a realization of a void of a conversation in the church that the single people are desperately wanting to have. Uh, but there hasn't really been an outlet let, outlet, or a place to have that conversation. Um, so one of my passions is to reframe how people view singleness and even approach singleness in their life. Yes. And something you talk about in your book is that there's this stigma around singleness. So why do you think that is? What what can we do about it for those that are single and maybe even for anybody listening that's like, wait, yeah, I don't know how to support the single people in my life. You know, I think because the church and even the word of God, for that matter, it focuses a lot on family and uh, relationships and generation and inheritance and, you know, the blessing of the next generation and the children. There's a lot of because, you know, God loves family. He loves covenant. He created the family unit as an expression of covenant. It's really beautiful. He created marriage as a covenant expression. You know, it's really beautiful. However, when you're not in that expression yet in your life, is there still fulfillment in the word of God for you? hundred percent, because all the promises over the children of God apply to you. But I think the church, because it's set up as a family, its primary focus and even what's preached from the pulpit is from a family's perspective, which isn't wrong. And that is biblically sound. However, there are times to be intentionally really include the single person, the widowed, the divorced person in the conversation that they still have the call of God on their life. They are not a subpar version. Uh, they're not a less than version. And marriage doesn't actually uh, complete you, nor does it give you permission to walk out the call of God in your life. You have the call of God in your life because you're a child of God. End of story. So when you stop waiting for permission and you start actually living out of your God-given identity, it really makes the conversation of singleness not as imperative. It makes it not this label that would hold you back at all. So I think the church, being a single pastor, I mean, there was so much conversation of focus on my marital status, which I found a bit ridiculous because I thought, I offer so much to the church. We all offer so much to the church. Not, I hope that doesn't sound arrogant when I'm saying that, but just recognizing what we all bring as a value to the kingdom of God that I recognize as a pastor, as a preacher, as a leader, my marital status, I would be the same leader as a married woman as I would be a single woman. Now, I might have some different life experiences, but my overall essence of what I bring isn't going to change. The church waits for people to be married in order to have more credibility. There is there is a belief system in the church you have more credibility if you're married. And I just don't agree with that. I don't think that's true. I think the word of God actually reinforces my point of view because of Paul. Thank you, Paul. <laughs> He's like, I wish that all of you would be single, but if you must go ahead, get married. And he recognized because there is a single-mindedness that happens in singleness when done well, when lived from a place of thriving and fullness in your call and your identity in God, it actually can be a really great place to live from. And we all know there are so many, you know, women and men that would agree with this, that we would rather be single and happy than miserable and married. Right. 
you know? So I think that there, and I hope I'm answering your question. Okay, Caitlin. Yeah, definitely. But I think that it's really like, I think there has to be a reframing and intentionality of really including single people in the conversation of the church. Not everything is focused on your spouse, your children. There's more to you than that. As great as those blessings are. And I love both of those. I have a marriage that I love. I have step stepchildren that are incredible. I, I recognize the value of the family unit because it's added a part of my life that I wouldn't exchange for anything. I'm grateful for all the pieces God's given in my life, but I also recognize I am my own child of God at the same time, right? That my value hasn't increased because of those things. I have the same value system that I did single as I do married or as a stepmother. So I think that we have to understand who we are is already established regardless of our relationship status. I hope that helps someone today. Oh, that's today. so good. And I think what you said, it's like when living single and thriving. So let's speak to that for a minute because I think when it's not, it's pretty apparent. It's like that frustrated, discontent, unhappy, mad at the yeah. world even sometimes, or just <laughs> yeah. looking to the left and right and like, how come everybody but me, like all of the things. So mm -hmm. what does it look like to live as a single woman or man and be content, um, yet still be contending for this marriage that you would love to have. Yeah. You know, I, this is kind of the crux of my book. I, it was funny. You don't plan on these encounters, but encounters come to you when you're serving God. I remember my 35th birthday, I was blowing out my birthday candles. And as I blew out the candles, I had really walked in a grace with my singleness and the grace looked like, a faith God would do it, a contentment for where I was at, a satisfaction for where I was at, but still believing for the more, um, longing for the desire of marriage. But there was really a supernatural grace. I didn't feel desperate. I didn't feel disappointed in my waiting at 35. I really was just full of hope. And I felt the grace of God. It didn't mean there weren't tears at times, but I just felt like that was pretty rare for me at that time in my life. There was a real joy in my singleness. I really was enjoying my life. At 35, I blew out the candles and I, I blew out the grace. It was as if the Lord lifted the grace off my life. And I literally felt instantly the desperation and the longing for marriage. I had not felt that. I had not experienced that. And as I'm feeling that desperation, the Lord then whispers to me a question that changed everything. And he said, am I enough? And I knew that that question was much more than just the, the face value of those words. And I knew that he was asking me, Caitlin, am I enough? Meaning if you never get married, am I enough? Will I, will I still satisfy you? Will you still worship me fully? Am I still good if you don't get married? And I remember wrestling for several days through my answer because I think when the Lord asks you questions, he already knows the answer, but he takes us on this journey of self-discovery. So we're able to learn where we're really at with something. And so I took time to evaluate and was very contemplative and sought the Lord because why he's asking me this question. So I wanted to be fully forthright and honest. And I discovered in myself because I experienced desperation for the first time. See, I didn't have the grace on me. So it was actually the Lord's kindness, Caitlin, that he lifted the grace because he was asking me something where he wanted me to actually experience the fullness of my longing. Had he asked me the question when I had the grace on me, I was like, sure, you're absolutely enough. And I would have minted a hundred percent. But when he lifted the grace, 
And I felt the fullness of Krista's desire and longing. He was no longer enough. He was not enough without his grace, right? So I just told him that. I said, you're not enough, but I need you to become enough. Because if you're not enough and you give me marriage, I know marriage will not satisfy long-term. Nothing will satisfy long-term if Jesus is not already enough. And so for the next year and a half, I laid it down and I grieved it. And people are like, you grieved it? 100%. Because I grieved it because I didn't know if I was going to get it back. I was grieving it as if I was letting it go. I was giving up the idea of marriage. But here's here's what's interesting. The Lord at the end of that grieving process said, contentment is not giving up on it. So here's, here's what's interesting. I went through this whole process of giving it up only for the Lord at the very end when I totally was like, we're good. I give it up. He's like, great, but I actually don't want you to give up on it. I want you to still believe for it, but I want you to stay in that place of satisfaction, which there's a tension in my book. I call it the beautiful tension. There's this, there really is a beauty in the tension of if it never changes, my worship never shifts. The goodness of who you are does not change whether I get it or not. And I believe you can, but I'm not giving up on it. I'm not just going, it's not going to happen. So it's easier to shut off my heart, shut off desire, and actually just put a wall up. That's actually easier to just shut down and not have the, the belief for it. It's harder to actually stay in a place of hope for something and belief for something, but not seeing it, but putting myself out there. That's actually more difficult. And it requires a greater resolve on who God is. And for me, it required a greater encounter and revelation on who God is. So I landed in this place where I walked in the contentment and the goodness of God that wasn't giving up on the hopes and the desires that I believed he had put within me. But if I never got them, literally, I was okay. I wasn't going to be devastated. It wasn't, it wasn't a story that I would tell from disappointment. And I think that that's the place of contentment that if you never get it, it's not the, it's not a painful story per se in the end. I think there's places of pain in it. I I don't want to paint it as it's this really easy journey. It was anything but easy for me. It was an incredibly hard journey. It was very painful at times, but where I landed, where, where it took me to was a place of encounter, a place of sweetness and a place where God was still really good. That's the contentment. Oh, that's so good. Now, once that grace lifted, cause let's see, that was your 35th birthday. And I know you got married at 39, right? Yep. You got it. Good so job. there's those four years that there's no grace. <laughs> What does it look like? Like, so if there's somebody listening that they're like, yeah, you know, I, I actually am so tracking with Krista's story. I totally had a grace and I'm feeling that. Like, how do you live abundantly? How do you wait well in that season of I'm not giving up hope? I'm still contending. I don't feel a lot of grace for this. Um, maybe even outside pressures that you're just like, oh, everything feels like it's like uh, when those moments of it screaming at you, whether it's the romantic movie or your best friend getting married and she was waiting with you, you know, you're like, whatever those things yes. are, how oh, do yeah. you stay uh, waiting well and living abundantly? That there's such a tension in that. And you are going to have to gauge it because it will change in seasons. There is not one formula for the entirety of your waiting years. And what do I mean by that? I was a bridesmaid 13 times. I officiated, or I was a part of, I shouldn't say officiated, I only officiated a couple of weddings, but I was a part of many weddings 
through many baby showers, um, was at all the things that I wanted to see in my life, but wasn't seen. Wow. There were seasons where I could really show up and be present. And then there were some parts of my season where I wasn't able to go to the baby shower or maybe I wasn't able to go to the bridal shower. It was just too tender. And that was just me taking care of myself and recognizing at times the delicacy of the season that I was in and it was okay. So I think you have to really evaluate when you are not feeling the grace and you're feeling those places of desperation that are very real and you're feeling kind of the pain of the reality of the longing and yet not seeing it. For me, I had to find out what was my assignment from the Lord in that season. And I really put myself into that. So I was working at various churches or whatnot projects that God had had in my life. So my thing is find something you're passionate about and pour yourself into it. When you're doing something you're passionate about, it's incredibly fulfilling. For me, it was discipling young people, running schools of ministry, pastoring, preaching, ministering, prophesying to people, training them up in the prophetic. I loved it. It was really fulfilling to me. I felt like I had a purpose. I felt like I was fulfilling the call of God in my life. So I always tell someone, if you're feeling desperate, you're looking for something to connect with, connect with the call of God in your life, connect with what God's put in you, those passion projects, whether you're getting paid or they're just a side thing you're doing on the weekends or in your free time, fill your life with things that you're excited about. Because if you don't have something you're excited about, that's going to fuel that desperation. And why in the heck am I, how did I get here? Yeah, You want to remove those feelings of, I'm not satisfied with my life. So some ways to offset the dissatisfaction is to bring in areas of satisfaction, right? So good. So I think you find your passion and then you find people that you can really run with and are actually happy in their singleness. If you are surrounding yourself with people that are discontent and mumbling and complaining and always wanting to talk about with you how hard it is to be single. And you guys are just going to get together and pray for your husbands together. I want you to aim higher than that. Right. I want, I want you to actually find people that are like going and out and going on a hike on a Saturday and, or you guys are into the same movies. You love shopping together, or you guys are going to build Pinterest boards together, or your creative writing small group, or you all love Jane Austen. You get together every week and you watch a Jane Austen movie and talk about it, like whatever it may be, like find your fun in your life and then find your tribe, find the things that give you life, spiritual, non-spiritual, find community that you feel known, that you feel loved, that you feel celebrated about where you're currently at, not for where you're at, uh, or excuse me, not for where they hope you'll be, but for where you're presently at, you need the community that really celebrates you. And that doesn't have to be a large community. It could be just one or two people, right? That really just you enjoy and you have time with. And then I planned some fun trips. I planned some fun adventures. I took risks in my singleness. I took new jobs. I moved places, other states. I lived internationally. I bought a condo. I bought a car. I went to shows. I ran half marathons. I, you know, I I just did a bunch of stuff. I traveled the world and visited my friends. I backpacked in Europe. I, I did all the things. I had high tea in Scotland. Like I just, I did things. I, I lived life. And so I always tell single people, live your God life. Yeah. Like do go on the missions trip, go, go visit the children in India that you've been like 
passionate about, like join and volunteer at the human trafficking organization that you've been like, man, I love what they do and begin to serve the passion in your life that God's given you. You'll be amazed at how you'll no longer focus on what isn't happening in your life. And you'll begin to really focus on what you're excited about in your life, but you got to start living your life and you got to take that pause button off your life. And, you know, I always tell people, I'm like, you know, obviously what I'm saying all needs to be qualified with God leading it. Right. So please let that be your baseline always, but like take the risks, take the new job, move States, like, you know, do the things. Like, I think sometimes we are, we're like, I don't want to do that single. Well, maybe that's exactly the perfect time to do something like that. So obviously God has to initiate all of that. It has to be led of the Lord, everything I'm saying. But I think because I really just in those years, just went for it. And actually for truly in my twenties and thirties, my whole 20 years of singleness, I, I lived like that when I had grace, when I didn't have grace, I lived the same. I just, I went for it. And I think that really eliminated any sort of kind of pity party. Not that I didn't have my moments, but I I didn't live there. Yeah. And I think it really helped me recognize what, what I, the life I was creating, I was really satisfied with. So good. I think that's really huge because marriage is not the end all of end all. And I, and I'm saying that from someone who's really satisfied in their marriage. <laughs> I, I love my marriage, right? I'm married to an incredibly kind man who's super handsome and he's fantastically generous and loves God. And I have a marriage I'm so happy with, and yet it can't meet all my needs. Because two people don't meet everything within one another. Only Jesus can. And so there has to be the fullness of who you are that must be developed and discovered. And if you can do that before marriage, your marriage will actually be better for it. Yep. Oh, it's so good. I know I just threw a ton at you, but no, honestly, what I'm thinking is listeners, you probably need to like re-listen to this. If you're driving right now, or if you're out on a hike, go you, I'm loving it while you're listening, but I'm just picturing listeners like taking notes and creating almost like what you said, your God life bucket list. Like, what is it? What are those things What that you always said one day or what if to like write it all down and find that purpose, find that passion so that it's like having a purpose and a passion party instead of a pity party. So how can you do yes. this? Um, I mean, it just, I, that you just painted a perfect picture, Krista, of like how beautiful life is. And I feel like even when somebody thinks I got in a, I got in a pity party, I watched a romantic comedy or my best friend just told me she's engaged. Like, come listen to this again. Like Mark, this is saved. Listen yeah. to this podcast of Krista, like cheering you on, on living your God life because, Oh, that was so beautiful and so helpful. Um, so practical, so inspiring, all the things. Um, okay. As we wrap up lady, I need you to answer because we are on the moral revolution podcast. There's a yes. chapter in your book called purity versus virginity. Can't, skim over that one. What do you mean? What does that mean? What are you talking about? Well, okay. So I was an eighties kid. So the whole goal in life in the eighties was just not to get pregnant. That was it. Like that was all like literally all I ever heard was don't have sex because you don't want to get pregnant. (laughs) Like I never learned anything about purity I learned about modesty, like how to dress appropriately, but in the area of purity versus virginity, I literally did not have that revelation until much later in life. And I discovered 
that's the goal. The goal is purity. The goal isn't virginity. And I don't say this to throw anyone under the bus. It really is a product of our culture at that time in the 80s. A lot of people I knew were getting married and they were technically a virgin, but they had done everything but have sex in the technical sense. And that isn't purity. Yes, you're a virgin by medical science standards, but I want to walk in purity before the Lord. So when I begin to get a revelation that purity is actually, this is the question you should be asking yourself when it comes to boundaries and the physical part of a relationship that you're in. When you find yourself maybe in life, whether you're in a relationship or at some point you will be. You always want to be able to ask yourself the question, do I feel clean before the Lord? Mm. That's a totally different question than, okay, we didn't have sex. Okay, we didn't do this, that, or the other. Because it's not about what boundaries you can just jump, you know, kind of bump against. It's not about everything you can almost do. The question is, do I feel clean before the Lord? So when you actually begin to go after the you feeling clean before the Lord, that hits your entertainment. Come on, wow, somebody. Yes, yeah. That hits your conversation. That it hits hits internal stuff. That hits, of course, um, the area of a sexual relationship with someone. What are the physical boundaries? And we, if if the Lord, if you're having a conversation with Jesus, which you should be having every day of your life as a follower of Jesus. Do you feel clean before him or do you feel like there's a bit of a film? Mm. And if there ever feels like there's some residue or a film from either a conversation, an activity, a behavior you participated in, something you watched on Netflix or Hulu or on social media or whatever, you feel a bit of a film, you've just entered the area where you don't feel clean before the Lord. That's your boundary. Yeah. That's if that becomes your boundary, that's actually where you want to be with the Lord. So it doesn't become the goal, not being pregnant or not having sex or not getting caught. Or, you know, I think growing up, it's like people didn't even ask the question of any other boundaries beyond just don't have sex. I mean, literally that was, that was kind of what people talked about. So, I mean, I, re I grew up in a culture where it wasn't, I, it's funny. I don't know if this was your culture at all. I went to public junior high, I went to public high school. I went to a Christian university, but it was not Christian at all. And, you know, I remember my friends having sex in seventh grade, Caitlin. Wow. And I wasn't shocked. Yeah. I'm 13 and I'm not shocked. So that's how normal promiscuity and sex was because it was kind of like, oh, he was her boyfriend all year long. Yeah, that's what they did. I knew I wasn't going to do that because of the home I was raised in and because my parents had instilled in me, like, don't have sex. So I knew I, knew I wasn't going to do that. <laughs> but we all know there's a lot more that happens before sex. And that stuff is actually just as important as sex. 100%. I think we think sex is the important thing. Oh my gosh. There's so much more. And the leading up that matters on your well-being, your health, and your wholeness as a woman of God. Yep. Sex. Sex is like down here uh, on, on not, not that it's not important. It's incredibly, incredibly important. It's very important. But my point is when I begin to understand the value of purity, and that's like in my 20s, I mean, I remember, and this is, I'm going to date myself and 
you'll, you, you, you'll laugh at this. I remember having my CD case with like my 500 CDs, oh, yeah, you know, same. My car, then you make right? your own, you like burn your own CDs. Girl, hundred <laughs> percent, like mix CD, yes. like all every day. And I remember the Lord being like, just calling me to a deeper place of consecration. And I wasn't even someone that listened to wild music. I didn't, I did love myself some eighties and nineties R and B, which was not that clean. Yeah. But the Lord was like, get it out, get it. You want to be a woman of God, get it out. And so I just remember doing a purge one night. And that was like one layer of purity. Wow. Right. Yep. And then like, you know, just it's in layers. It happens in your life where you're just like in that place. You're just longing for the more and the Lord reveals to you, you know, I want you clean before me. Um, so, you know, I was, I was a virgin when I married Sean, I was a 39 year old virgin. And that came, that happened because I was incredibly intentional with my purity it was not because my goal was to be a virgin. Yeah. And that kind of, I know, plays with people's minds. But if my goal was a virgin, it's like I would have missed out on what it is to walk feeling clean before the Lord. Hmm. Right? There's just such a difference. And so especially when I was pastoring in Los Angeles, that was a big conversation with a lot of people where I was always say, telling them, ask yourself and ask the Lord, do I feel clean before? Am I, am I clean before the Lord? Lord, am I clean before you? Ask him and listen and ask yourself, how do you feel? And that helped people create a lot greater more healthy standards because it wasn't this, it wasn't from the place of, I can't do that. Yep. It was from the place of, no, this is actually, this is who God's called me to be. It's such a healthier, more empowered position to live from than like living from the gospel of no. Yes. So I hope that answers that question. Oh yeah. That's so good. And I think I love your question. I've never heard it phrased just like that, but of how like I want to be clean before the Lord. So do I feel clean before the Lord when really the most common question that we hear in Christian circles is how far is too far, right? It's that pushing and bumping up against the boundary. So replacing the how far is too far with do I feel clean before the Lord and how do I, uh, what things need to change. And I love what you said about the layers because I think that's so true. Yeah. I think in some of the stuff as you were sharing, I was just thinking because there's layers of desensitization that we've had. Because it could re totally depend on who your friends are, even at church. Like, I remember as a young Christian, totally comparing myself to other Christians. So I'm like, well, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. Instead of saying, what totally. does the Bible say? What does the Lord say? Am I clean before the Lord? I'm just like, oh, I'm not going as far as she is with her boyfriend. So I'm good. <laughs> oh, 100%. That was totally the culture I was around. I mean, I felt like, oh, I'm doing good because I looked around. I wasn't doing half of what they were doing. But I recognize later in life, God's like, no, but I called you here. If you allow other people's standards to be your barometer, you're always going to come up lower than what you should be. Yep. And so other people's standards cannot be your standard. Like you have to know who you are and you become the standard. Mm -hmm. for yeah. People. Yeah. They're you looking for somebody that just shows them, oh, this is possible. Like right. purity is possible. Oh, I just need to see so somebody awesome. show me that. Oh, That's it's right. so good. And something else, when you were talking about entertainment, uh, something I often say is the Lord showed me is we're being trained by what we're entertained by. And so I think specifically in light of a conversation for single women, realizing it's not even just saying, oh, like a scene where there's nudity, but checking what you watch with romance and love stories of, is it setting a standard? Because what I mean, sorry, 
I'm not talking about Jane Austen anymore. I'm talking about like The Bachelor or whoever knows what else is new, whatever in paradise and all these things. That is training you. Like whether you say, it's like how we used to say back then when we were listening to the bad music, it's just the beat that we like, you know? Like, nope, there's other stuff filtering through that's getting into your spirit, into your mind, that's kind of breaking it down. So realizing that the stuff that we watch, um, when I was a young pastor, like all of the female pastors and women were watching The Bachelor and having watch nights and stuff. I'm like, what? Because I was so confused. Like that is continually setting this mindset of what dating is like courtship, relationship, love, sex, like all of it. I'm like, we've got to raise the standard. But it's so beautiful when the Lord takes us on a journey of layer by layer in his kindness, constantly showing us, I have more for you. Like I have more for you, girl. And um it's so beautiful to be able to live and know. I just, ladies, hear this. Are you clean before the Lord? What does it look like to live clean before the Lord? And re- I love what you said too, Krista, of like that film. It's like when that is removed, it's almost like we removed the layer of like the pity party and the last question, but then that layer of what really keeps you in that, that's discontentment. Like when you have this film with the Lord, when you have this residue that is like making you feel disconnected and discontent, it's like that's when you feel pure and clean, spotless, you know that you're pursuing and giving him your all. Then you will find the purpose, passion, purity, all of the peace. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, I feel like you really do have to intentionally guard, guard yourself because we live in a world that is so desensitized, as you brought up so well earlier. And just a quick story. I was on a plane recently because I definitely watch. I really guard what I watch with my eyes and my ears and whatnot. So I don't watch anything explicit. Of course not. Right. I was on a plane and I walked by from the bathroom back to my seat. And there was a guy watching a pretty explicit film, but it was on the plane. So, but there was a scene in it, you know, and I don't watch stuff like that. So I was like, really like shocked. And I went back to my seat and I felt slimed Mm -hmm. because I was like, Oh, gross. And I thought, why is that on? our airline, like, but I don't watch that kind of stuff, but he's just watching it. And I'm thinking, Oh my gosh, if kids are there, like, kids my, walk by. Mm-hmm. like, I'm just like all the things. And I just thought to myself, wow, like I have to really, I, I sat there in my seat and I just asked the Lord to cleanse me. I was like, Jesus, just cleanse me, cleanse my eye gate, cleanse my mind. And, you know, cleanse that, that image, remove that image from, from my mind. I don't want that reference point within me. And, you know, just that place of, when you are exposed to things in the world we live in, you have the authority yes. to not have the residue hang on you. Yeah. So I want people to walk away from this conversation knowing you're empowered to break any and all effects or kind of darts of the enemy that he throws at you when you're just innocently walking down the aisle of something or who knows what, and someone is making a decision in public and you see it, but you you don't have to have that. I don't even think about it anymore. Like after that, I it wasn't in my recall. I didn't think about it anymore. I forgot all about it. It didn't hang on me. So I just want people to know you have the authority through your identity in Christ and through the blood of Jesus to walk with a cleansed mind and a purity and a, and a cleanliness in your heart and before the Jesus that is possible. You got to take authority over that. Like, don't let that stuff linger. And so when you are unexpectedly ex- exposed to things, because I just feel like that happens sometimes. And I just want people to know, like, you don't have to accept it. Like the enemy will throw things your way and you're just like, nice try, you know, just toss it out. So just for the sake of empowerment for people to remember who they are. Yes. Yes. Thank you for that reminder. All right. 
We're wrapping it up. So let's see. SeanandKristaSmith.com is the website that you can connect to them on. And then obviously on Instagram, we'll tag you, Mrs. Krista Smith. Is there any other, you got the book. It's probably, is it available anywhere books are sold? Yep, should be. And Amazon is the main place. Our website, SeanandKristaSmith.com. Other places, books are sold, sure. Great. Well, thank you so much for being with us today, Krista. It was amazing. Honored to be with you. Such a great convo. All right, that's it, listeners. We'll see you next time. Thank you guys for listening. If you want to learn more and check out all of our awesome content, be sure to head to our website at moralrevolution.com and our socials, Instagram, Facebook, all of them. But before you leave, don't forget to like, review, subscribe, all of the things. We want you guys to come back and join us. We enjoyed having you. See you next time.